When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So I, I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening, because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better, because it can. Bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7. Oh, I should give us some intro music. Hold on. Oh, hello, howdy, and hey there, y'all. It is Ginger Minge, and I am back, 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 back again with another exciting edition of Local Queen. Today, we're talking to one of my all-time favorite people, part of my circle of friends, my gaggle of gays, the multi-talented, multi-award-winning, multi-functional, Mr. Miss Adrian. Hello. What's up, Ginger? Hey, I wish I had an applause button, but I didn't add one. I would have given you a thunderous ovation. That's very sweet. How you doing? I'm great. How are you? Very good after that intro. That made me feel warm and fuzzy. Yes, well, that's me. Warm and fuzzy all the time, whether I want to be or not. I'm one of those girls that, like, it doesn't look like I grow that much body hair, but literally I will start a show with a fresh shaven face. And by the second number, I'm trying to shave my stubble, my Barney rubble stubble all the way through the makeup just to powder it down again. Yeah. I feel you. I'm Cuban. So I probably shouldn't do drag, um, but it grows everywhere. And I don't know what my body looks like if I let it grow it out because I I have. I don't want, well, I, of course, I don't know what your body looks like when you grow it up. But me, like for my own body, I don't know because I've never had the opportunity to like just sit and let it grow. Right. Well, also, like when you saw your first hair that wasn't supposed to be there, you shaved it immediately, right? <laughs> I plucked it. Okay, there you go. Yeah. I, I was my body with those little uh, Bic, the green and blue, like those dollar ones with the one blade. And then I why I have. They used to sell them in the um the the vending machine at Parliament House, and they have like the pack of a hundred. Uh huh. For a dollar fifty. My God, I used to steal them from my dad and shave every inch of myself. (laughs) Well, I didn't know that I was gonna be this hairy, obviously. So when I got my first chest hair, I was like, I'm gonna pluck it out and keep it forever. It's probably the only thing I'll ever grow. (laughs) Meanwhile, like. It was like an an hour. Like a year later, I was covered. And now, like, I got so sick of shaving everything or nairing everything because I'm so sensitive. My skin is so sensitive that it breaks out. So now I'm like, people think I'm matronly, but that's why I have gowns that come up to here, full (laughs) long sleeves, cut all the way up the back, and long hair. 
I'm telling you, it's turtleneck to the wrist to the ankle. And yeah. I don't want to hear anything about it. <laughs> Man, if I had a neck, I would wear a turtleneck. <laughs> I just look like a little fat, uncircumcised penis if I have a turtleneck on. <laughs> Well, they have the mask ones now, so you can be you can be uh, uncircumcised too. Oh, that's exciting! To represent all the cultures, all at once. <laughs> I hope it comes in the most unnatural shade of nude, just beige, <laughs> sensible beige. That is my all-time favorite thing when you order tights or like a, a nude spandex or something. It's called nude. Right. But it- literally comes in and it is beige. It is like nobody in the world has ever been that color. Dead for a month. Yeah. Yeah. For quite some time in the ground. It's not, I go with, uh, I have my light suntan, which is counter. It's a double negative, isn't it? (laughs) Yes, it is. Uh, Well, I remember when I first started doing drag, all we had was uh, the dance skin, the really shiny tights, like the ones they wear at Hooters. Right. That was called, um, Burnt Toast. On the package? On the package. They were called Burnt Toast. And then I've been wearing body wrappers for, oh my gosh, probably like almost 15 years now. Because they're the only ones that I feel are really good for a plus size girl. They really fit. They go over everything. They smooth it out and they don't slip. I Um, wear all my costumes. It's the only way to keep it everything together. Yeah, absolutely. And the color (laughs) I wear now, what's it called, babe? It's called Jazzy Tan. Jazzy Tan. Jazzy Tan. Well, that's yeah. better than, uh, what, what is the burnt toast? Yeah. <laughs> like a stroke it, it looked like a Muppet color. Like it was orange, 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 and so freaking shiny. Texas dirt for legs. <laughs> okay. I know we're getting sidetracked here and we've barely begun, but if you are uh, an avid listener of this podcast, I'm sure you know that that's what we do. That's what happens here. Ah. Talk to all of these incredible friends of mine, and you're just along for the ride. But I do want our listeners to get to know you just a little bit. So, if you can give me like the Reader's Digest, and for those of you who are too young to know what Reader's Digest is, it was literally this company that put together anthologies of books, but they would cut them down. So, the, so it was like 12 books in one. It was, it like was little no, versions. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So uh, when we say, give us the Reader's Digest version, that means cut out the fat and and just give it to us. So um, tell us a little bit, just in a nutshell, who Mr. Miss Adrian is. Sure. So uh, Mr. Miss started when I was in high school and I wanted to be an actor. And I got to college and realized, oh, this is terrifying. And I hated auditioning. And I hated feeling like I needed to fit into a mold of a character. So I decided to write my own because you don't have to audition for something that you make up yourself. (laughs) um, I really was so attracted to drag because it was all about making your own opportunities and having your own vision and putting that to life with sort of no outside interference. Like it's Mm -hmm. yours for five minutes on that stage. And um, when I got to, so I got to college, studied acting during the day and was going to pulse at night and dressing in drag. And um, looking just terrible. I mean, Forever 21 was on a good week, if I could afford that. It was bad. I'm going to start a fat girl clothing store called Forever 22. Right. Yes. Spantex. (laughs) Four-way everything. Well, that's mad rag. (laughs) That's just mad rag. (laughs) Oh, my God. 
So Mad Rag, just Mad a Rag. little detour right here. Mad Rag is this like chain of, of disposable clothing stores, basically. Horrible. <laughs> but the way that the logo is, and y'all can look this up, it looks like Madrag. My drag. Like this is Madrag. This is my drag. <laughs> you, go in, you get your drag from a drag. And I was that was me for the first, you know, year or two. And I oh, and then what so basically what happened was my first night I went to this talent competition at Pulse, met all these amazing people, and I sort of was just gonna go to like get the itch out and then oh. get back to acting school and you know, be a serious actor. But I lost. I came in second place and I said, Well, we can't have that, can we? No, and we can't. I went back the next Tuesday and won and went back every Tuesday after that. Love, <laughs> got my first job at Pulse. Incredible experience. Obviously, we lost Pulse, um, which was sort of the death of my innocence, I guess. Like, it was sort of the... A lot of us, honestly. Yeah. I mean, drag stopped being fun, and it started being sort of a, like, a mission. Like, what am I doing sort of thing? Like, what is the you know, existential crisis, why am I here, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Well, um, for a lot of us in Orlando, it, it we have a lot of survivor's guilt. Yeah. After that, I mean, it was, it, it was such a, it, it affected the entire world. It affected the entire world. And I remember so specifically yeah. sitting there watching the news the next morning and seeing the Eiffel Tower lit up in rainbow colors uh-huh. and feeling angry, like that was my initial response. I was mm-hmm. like, leave us alone. This is our, like, why are you, t- you don't know about Pulse. And yeah. it's so saying this now because now it belongs to everyone. Now yeah. there's no one you can talk to on the street that doesn't know what happened at Pulse Nightclub on June 12th. Exactly. You know what I mean? It's like. That's exactly um, kind of what I was going to say. It's like it affected the entire world on, I wouldn't even say a, a superficial level, but not on a personal level. And those of us from here, from Orlando, who got our start at Pulse Nightclub, and there's so many of us, it did feel very much that way. It's like, I appreciate your support, but our family needs to be alone right now to mourn. Yeah. And it was sort of like, what do you know about my backyard? Like, what do you know about my home? Like, what? don't talk about things you don't understand. But at the same time, that was sort of the moment that people couldn't ignore us anymore. Yeah. You know, it was sort of, that was the sort of an equalizer. The yeah. same way during COVID, it was all these Black Lives Matter protests. It was sort of like you can't ignore there's a problem anymore. I, yeah. No no one can. Yeah. And it sort of became this thing that it's like, okay, like we need to fight for each other. Mm-hmm. And the way that you and yeah. I do that is th- putting on women's clothing and telling exactly. stories. I've never in my entire life experienced something like like a tragedy of the magnitude of Holt happening. I mean, of course, my birthday is 9-11. So I went through all of that on maybe I, a different kind of level than most people because it's like supposed to be this day of celebration for me. And, and you're waiting for it and you're so excited. and Yeah. Supposed to fly to New York City for the first time that morning, oh, no. and it just like the whole thing was very traumatic. And I was like, nothing is ever going to top this. This is one like from my own personal history books. And then when Pulse happened, it affected me on such a visceral level that it's it's trauma. I don't think that it's something that I will ever get over. I don't think it's something that I'll ever fully be um, at peace with. But 
the one thing that was really good that came out of it, aside from like everybody else in the world kind of jumping on board and supporting us, yeah. uh, was seeing how this particular town, this this place, the Orlando, came together. Yeah. And and I'm talking about people from the center, people from the far left, people from the far right. We all realized that this was something that affected us in our community and everybody just showed up and banded together. It still does. I mean, to this day, I I it's just it's a different, it's a completely different energy after that happened. There's such a also there's nowhere you can turn where you don't see some sort of tribute or art on a wall or you know, yeah. mural or or it's it's every a flag, anything that it sort of reminds you like you're you're safe, you know, in this mm-hmm. city. Now the fact that we have absolutely no queer spaces to go into, that's a completely different story because um, all of our clubs are closing. We'll get into this in a little bit. Yeah. I want to give that its due. Yeah. Um, but so you you decided just to rewind a little bit. Uh, you were going to join Pulse. You were there every Tuesday. Every Tuesday until I got my job on Wednesdays with uh, Roxy Andrews and Angelica Sanchez and Kaya Adonis, who I worshipped and adored and still do. And I had no business being on that cast, but they trusted me. Yeah. And I grew because I was forced to, you know. I, the caliber of drag that was around me, I had to step my shit up, you know. Yeah. So I did. And I had three of the best years of my life there. You know, we talk all the time with the employees. It's like we would get there when the club opened and we would leave an hour after the club closed. Yeah. It was home. Now, you know, I go in and I clock, I do my show. Thank you. Good night. (laughs) But it was special. It was really special. And um, when we lost that, there was this huge hole in the community and I moved over to Southern Nights. Mm-hmm. Very different experience. Um, one that I also grew from a lot and learned a lot about my self worth. You know, mm-hmm. I sort of grew into the person who said, "I'm not." When you remember when someone used to offer you a gig and you'd thank them. Yes. Thank you so much. Now it's like, yeah. So there are some gigs that help you grow artistically, and mm-hmm. there are. Some- that help you grow as a business person. Right. And I have been on both sides of that. And particularly, I would say since Drag Race, because there's this thing, there's a, they call it the sister rate, where all of these people, all of these these uh, queens that have been the show directors and booked the shows at these these places all around the country that you have begged to work for for years, they right. haven't given you the time of day. Occasionally, they let you come in and work for a tip spot, right? The- and now they want the 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 buddy uh, uh, discount. Yeah. Well, as soon as I was on Drag Race, or as soon as I started doing well at the Miss Continental Plus pageant, even before Drag Race, when I started to really make a name for myself, then they would come back and go, "Oh, girl, now you know I've always loved you, so you're going to give me the sister rate, right? You're you're, you're going to do this for 150 bucks. You're going to." So I will never forget. And I'm just going to go ahead and tell it because, you know, we lost the Parliament House and I miss it. It was home for me for 15 years. I love that place. But there was this thing about how, you know, Ginger started in this town. She's one of us. She had to work her way to where she is. And I never felt like I got the level of respect 
that I earned by working there. And it was the white party for the top four of season seven. Back when, you know, drag race was a once a year thing. There wasn't five generations of it. And we was an event every single year. And that's also how you knew who the top the top were. Exactly. So I got really hurt because I was offered a certain amount of money and I found out that oh, night that even though almost everybody that was there had come to support me, Violet, Pearl, and Kennedy were all being paid almost 10 times as much as I was getting paid. 10 times. So... And you wonder what people are thinking. And I was told, well, you're, you're family. You're part of the family. You know, this is. Yeah, so pay me double. <laughs> well, <laughs> but they weren't the ones that were here breaking their backs to get people to come in on a Wednesday night. Right. They were who were sitting up here at 3 p.m. on a Monday trying to play bingo and, and shovel drinks into people's mouths just to get business in the door. Like, I've really earned my spot here, shown how much I am a part of this family, that it felt really backhanded. And it's not just Parliament House. I just use that as As an example, of course. And everybody wants to see how much money they can save on you. But it's like, first of all, you know how much money you're making on us. Mm -hmm. And second of all, which is what I try to drum into these, especially in Orlando, it's a huge problem because I never had this problem in New York. But in Orlando, these club owners that don't understand that the people are not coming for your drink specials. Yes. They're coming to see us Mm -hmm. because we have a relationship with them. Exactly. They don't have a relationship with drinks. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like the drink (laughs) is what they do while they're watching... If they do have a relationship with the drink, then they should probably see a therapist and work on that and try to, uh, that's probably not a healthy relationship. Um, But it's the communication between the the queen and the, you know, and the club owners that can admit that. Yeah. And pay us accordingly. And more importantly, respect us accordingly. Mm -hmm. In my experience, those are the nights that succeed. Those are the clubs that succeed. Absolutely. They're, we're not on sale. No. They're not cheapening. If you don't cheapen us, then the whole thing flourishes. But if you cheapen us, then you cheapen the show, and then you cheapen the night, then... Well, I, I, also, I also feel like it's that, that thing of, like, if you don't have enough faith in me as an entertainer to think that I am worth a certain amount of money that already puts me in the mindset that, Oh, this is not a good fit for me, or this is not um, something important. This is just a, a space filler until something better comes along. Because if you've made me feel that way, that's how I feel about you and the show and working here. So, so why am I going to put in a hundred when you're not even paying me a hundred. <laughs> Sometimes they don't even want you to give a hundred. They want you to give a hundred and twenty. Oh, of course. For twenty dollars. For twenty dollars. <laughs> so um Anyway, we don't want to get bogged down in that. We're just saying that that if you are a queen, you should set your worth, know your worth, and demand. Because yeah. they don't, need you. They need you. That's my big point. They need them, they need you. 
I went too many years, and this is really the lesson I learned at Southern Nights. I went too many years thinking that I, and this goes back to the thank you thing, that I should be grateful for the spot in the club. Not mm-hmm. thinking that the club should be grateful to have me in that spot. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a synergy. I'm grateful yeah. for the work, of course, but it's a partnership. They I don't they don't uh, they're not doing me any favors. Yeah, nobody wants to go to work when they don't feel like they're valued. Come on, of course. That's exactly what it is. Right. And I, I had kind of that imposter syndrome for a couple of years, especially right after season seven of Drag Race, where I was like, I'm just going out and doing the things that I've always done. And all of a sudden, I'm getting a lot more attention for it. I'm getting a lot more money for it. And it really made me feel like, oh, I'm a sham and I don't deserve this because there were so many other people out there in my head telling me, well, girl, you don't deserve this amount of money. I'll give you this. You come here, you do your thing like you always have. that awful? And it took me a very long time to realize, no, I am killing myself out here on the road, making myself sick. I was waiting up to like uh, 275 pounds and then dropping back down to 175 a couple months later. Like it's just going up and down because I was so unhealthy. Not I was eating so much. I was smoking so much. I was doing all these things that were harmful to me mm-hmm. just so I could keep up with the level of, of work that I was, I was Get taking to the next gig to the next gig because I was so concerned I wasn't worthy of them. They'd figure out and I would no longer work. Right. And then I realized once I started valuing myself a little bit more, the rest of the world did too. And now I get to kind of pick and choose the things that I do that I'm passionate about. I've gotten to do so much more theater, which is kind of a good segue into how you and I relationship is so much like you i started as a theater girl and i ran out of roles i wanted to play as a boy and i was like oh my gosh the girls have the better roles so i just started creating my own little shows my own little spaces when nobody in orlando would give me the time of day so i just started approaching like hamburger mary's uh bananas diner when it was here and going there's this niche. There's a huge theater community in Orlando. There's nothing that caters to them. Nothing. Oh, Broadway's never going to work. Well, it worked. We sold that place out for a couple of years at Bananas. We then took it over to Hamburger Mary's for Broadway Brunch, which is still running to this day. I mean, I'm no longer there, but it's still something that this town is very proud of. It's part of the legacy of the drag scene here, and it's something and that it's I... it's built on that. It's yeah. Like- with Disney right down the street, all the theme park kids, all the kids who come here to get, you know, their equity card and then go to New York. Like this is, that's what the city's almost for. And it was so funny because, you know, I grew up doing drag in pageants where the whole mindset is it's an illusion. It's from this to that. And you have to look a certain way and act a certain way. And a talent is really this and your gown should be this. And it was so structured that it skewed my view of drag when my actual view of drag or my actual experience with drag every week was just this ragtag band of misfits who had no other space. And we all found our our community together and we all started putting on little shows that became very successful. And so a few years back, 
I, with my best friend Gidget Galore, which a lot, anybody who listens to this podcast, they know Gidget. Um, we decided that we were going to bite the bullet and finally do the Golden Girls live. And thank God um, not thinking that anybody was going to come and see it. We were like, we're doing this for us. We're just going to have fun doing it. And if anybody likes it, that's good. If not, whatever. It sold out. And then it, everybody came to see it. <laughs> everybody. It's something that it took off to the point where we did not ever, ever imagine that we'd be playing thousand plus seat venues, completely sold out, selling out our tickets in less than 48 hours every time they go on sale. It led to us doing Roseanne Live, uh, Gilligan's Island Live. We have the Munsters Live coming up, as well as I Love Lucy and The Nanny and Designing Women, all these things that just came out of one drunken taco Tuesday. Incredible. And as we were sitting there around her table, just kind of thinking like, all right, I'm obviously Blanche. You're obviously Rose. Divine Grace is like the world's premier B. Arthur impersonator. The premier. And then we were like, hmm, who can we get to be Sophia? We originally thought of another drag tris here in town who actually is the biggest Golden Girls fan in the world, but was so offended to be offered the role of Sophia. And I'm so grateful she was. <laughs> because she didn't want to be the old one. She didn't want, I mean, and, and, and everybody makes their own choices for their own reasons. Totally. That's we so fair. No hard feelings against her. Didn't at the time. We were like, it's fine. We'll, we'll, we'll move on. But Gidget and I sat down and went, uh, who the hell are we going to get to play Sophia in two weeks when we put this show up? And she came to me and she said, what about Mr. Miss Adrian? And I said, what about Mr. Miss Adrian? The last time I saw her, we, we ended up sitting next to each other at the color purple on Broadway for a matinee. And that night we ended up sitting next to each other for kinky boots on Broadway. And I was like, Oh, this is like kismet. She's a total theater girl. She's short. And I feel like, you know, as a producer, you always try to sit back and think of how you can kind of dip your, your toes into every market. I was like, well, she's a different market than we are. So she'll obviously bring different people. Um, so can you just kind of tell us your perspective on how this all went down? I would love to, because it was wild from my seat. So <laughs> at Southern, to sort of get out of that mental thing I was blocking, I started writing these shows and I wrote a, a musical version of Devil Wears Prada and I wrote a musical version of um, uh, uh, Mean Girls and I was doing all these sort of musicalized little shows to try to do exactly what you were saying, try to bring theater and try to find that audience and try to go back to telling, you know, stories and five minutes on stage wasn't enough for me anymore. <laughs> so I was doing all this stuff to try to, you know, encourage to, to work those muscles again and Gidget messaged me one night when I was feeling particularly shitty, actually. Um, it was just, I had nothing going on and I just felt very sort of stuck. And that's actually right around when I was playing with that idea of moving to New York. And I was like, I just got to get out of here. And Gidget sent me a message as, as, as it's like, you're, when you feel like you're drowning and then there's the lifesaver. Yeah. That's really what that was. She said, Hey, can I call you? And I was so confused because like we all knew each other and we've all been friendly for years and I have idolized the two of you for years. I mean, 
everyone in the comedy queen system has been so inspirational to me because that's where I could go to see the girls who were telling stories and who weren't just worried about being beautiful and being, you know, dressed to the nines and whatever. And you guys were all those things plus had a personality and a story to tell. And not to cut you off, but to cut you off for a second about comedy queen. It is a national pageantry system that is for the misfits, for the for the girls who don't feel like they have a place anywhere else. It is the most fun pageant you'll ever do. It's the only contest I've ever entered and lost and was okay with. I wasn't upset at all. I just said, the only thing that makes me upset is that I have to wait another year to come to the it, it It's the nicest people. All the formers are the nicest, and everybody is beautiful and talented. It's not a joke. No. Fun, being funny is our business. Yeah. Basically, what the tagline is. Speaking very seriously, and there's such a sisterhood. And the, I, I, so I just respected the hell out of you guys for the longest time. As at 18 years old, you know, I w- I met Addison, and through Addison, I found all of you guys. And then I just never stopped, you know, sort of looking up to you. So to get that message was really kind of like, uh, what? Like, did I do something wrong? Like, <laughs> am I gonna like? I don't know what's going to happen. And I feel like every time Gidget texts me, I'm like, <laughs> what's going on? She's like, hey, sis. And you're like, oh, no, what did I do? Um, <laughs> but she called me and she says, hey, we're thinking of doing the Golden Girls. Do you know the show? And I was like, of course I know the show because I'm like, I'm 27. I was, what, 23 or 4 at the time? Twenty. It was, We've been doing this. This is our fourth year. Okay, yeah. So anyway, you do the math at home. I dropped <laughs> out of college. We're um, actually mathematicians. Uh, right, yeah. I was, so I was that age that you've now calculated for yourself at home. And <laughs> a uh, shoot, now I don't remember where I was going. You see what math was to me? You just seen, uh, or she asked if you knew the Golden Girls. Right, and... That's sort of like my zeitgeist. Like I sort of, like I listen to like Cher and Madonna and Bette Midler and Celine Dion and watch shows like The Golden Girls and I Love Lucy and those. That's always sort of been where my brain has lived. Uh-huh. Um, so I was very familiar with the show. And funny enough, Sophia was really the only character that I could ever see myself doing in that lineup of girls. Mm-hmm. And she, when she said Golden Girls, I said, "Oh God, I hope it's to do Sophia." And she said, we need a Sophia. And it was just sort of this like <laughs> cosmic, like I've been waiting for a phone call like this. And I, I said, absolutely, of course I'll be there. And as soon as I hung up the phone, I said, what the hell have I gotten myself into? I'm so scared. I'm so intimidated. And also could not for the life of me figured out how you guys thought of me. Like I couldn't put the A to the B together of how I came on the thought train. And to tell you from our side of it, it was, we had to find somebody who was not taller than anybody else. We needed somebody on the shorter side, somebody um, that was on the the thinner side, just because physically that's who Sophia was. Somebody with a biting sense of humor, something that was kind of dry and very sarcastic, but um, very like, in your face, uh, which is has always kind of been your your comedic style when you've hosted things. Yeah, we 
somebody. And, and all of the people I sort of look up to too are those sort of body angry, like <laughs> Elaine Stritch esque type of older women who like hate uh, everything. Like I, that's so, those have always been the women that I look with, like a cigarette and the whiskey. Like I just uh, always loved that. I always thought that was so sort of charming and sophisticated and glamorous, you know. And the biggest reason was we wanted somebody that not only we felt could keep up with us, but would also appeal to a different demographic. Right. Because the three of us are kind of all in the same sector, you know, like we're all kind of in the same uh, realm of uh, fan base. Right. And luckily because included. And that was sort of the funny part is I'm part of the fan base. So when we had that first read through, and how incredible everybody sounded. I mean, when Divine first opened her voice and did Dorothy, I was like, how long have you been rehearsing this? And she was like, oh, I forget what she said, but she basically listed like... Saturday night since 1985. <laughs> <laughs> and I believed her. I was like, that makes sense. Everyone was so their part and everyone had done their homework and everyone was there to like... It was so refreshing to be with a group that had a common interest mm-hmm. and wanted to see everybody succeed. That's hard to find in a dressing room at a drag show, unfortunately. Yeah, and it's hard to be in a space where there's no egos and where it's a common goal and we're there for the love of the work, not for love of ourselves. Yeah. You know? And it changed my life. It's like people don't believe me when I say we did not think this was going to be a hit. We didn't think anybody was going to give two shits. We thought thought it was just going to be the five of us, you know, us four girls and Doug Bowser who plays literally everybody else. (laughs) And we were like, we're just going to do this as a group of friends. We're going to have a good time, take some pictures and live our fantasy. Then it'll go away in two weeks and we'll never think of it again. And it just hit from the second. Do you remember opening night? Like the very first opening moments of the show when the theme song started? They sang. They sang. And we all looked at each other and we said, oh my God, I think this is going to work. Like it was like that. And then it turned into like the Rocky Horror Picture Show where I'm in, I'm sitting on the bed doing the lesbian, 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 that whole scene. And uh, the audience is saying it with us. Line for line. They know all the punchlines. And it was very intimidating, but it was also, so it felt like we were part of something that was so much bigger than we were and that we thought it was going to be. It was like the Super Bowl. Flash forward, we did... um, several more run like we extended that original two week run to be like a month and a half. Then we came back and did gay days for a week. And then we did Christmas that first year, which we had people, I mean, the building's gone now, so we can say it. We had people sitting on the stairs. We had people sitting like literally up uh, on the banisters and everything. to try we to put the roof off the place and the walls and the floor oh. and the seats. And- it's gone completely. And now, um, <laughs> you remember the restaurant at Parliament House? They never like you could walk in, and it was always tumbleweeds and crickets. Not our shows. In Golden Girls, you it had an hour and a half wait to be seated. Yeah, to be people were coming. It, it wasn't just the gay community that was coming to support us, oh, which was so exciting everyone. for me. It was everybody, yeah. everybody. 
So then after that, we decided to branch out. We did Roseanne Live, where you played Darlene. Loved playing Darlene. She was so fun. And it's funny because I didn't know Roseanne very well. Golden Girls, I knew. I didn't know Roseanne very well. And I never watched it. I just sort of was like, I'm just going to read the script and I'm going to do what the script says and I'm going to do what the script calls for. And I think that's the my favorite thing about the shows that we do together at TV Land Live is that it really does feel, as much as it is a, a tribute to these incredible shows, they become so ours. Yep. And we've, we've found a way to put such a stamp on it and we always are speaking the same language. Like we have such a shorthand now. Yes. Like, I don't really. know if people know how quickly we we put these shows together. Well, but, we usually have about three days from read through to opening night. Yeah. I mean, it's insane. And I, you tell anybody that and they A, don't believe you and B, once they do believe you think you're insane. <laughs> Which we are, but we're also, we are. <laughs> also all very busy. We all have our own careers and lives and it takes right. a lot of our time, but we've also learned to trust each other so much that when we totally. show up, we just know that it's going to be all right. We show up and everyone's head is in the same yes. thing and we build these beautiful things. And I think what's also important is for anybody who hasn't seen our shows at TV Land Live is to realize that we're not mimicking these shows. We're not uh, just impersonating these characters. We approach this through kind of a queer lens. We try to um, make sure that it's really grounded in who we are. And then I write the script so it has enough of the iconic moments that everybody expects from all these shows, but it's something wholly original yeah. that is just in that universe of the Golden Girls or Roseanne or Gilligan's Island. Which um, they also come to expect. Yes, exactly. Which is so cool but, now that they know us. And like, I expect just to see a carbon copy. That's not what we do. That wouldn't be exciting for anybody. No. And, yeah. and, and why do it? If we're not going to make it queer, if we're not going to inject ourselves into it, then it would just be any other of the millions of, uh, you know, copycat productions around the, the country. Exactly. Exactly. So our latest production was Gilligan's Island live, which you played the title character of. So fun. And how was it to do one of our productions out of drag? Terrifying at first, knowing that I was going to be a boy on stage again, 10 years after the last time I've been a boy on stage. Mm. And the first time I was going to be on stage without makeup for in 10 years as someone who is a incredibly insecure about my talent as everybody is back to imposter syndrome and someone who is incredibly insecure about their skin. I was Mm. terrified, but again, we sat down in the room together and we did what we do and, and we explored the script and it got to the point that once we were in the throes of it, I wasn't even thinking about that. Gilligan's Island was so validating to me. And it was so cool to remember at the end of it, like, oh my God, you're an actor. You've mm-hmm. just been playing the same part for 10 years. Yeah. And it's a part that involves lipstick and, and, and eyelashes and hair, but that's not what makes you valuable. Yeah, but that's not the only thing that makes you valuable. Right. Like, it was so validating to know that it comes from 
here and the work and my love for the work and the people I'm on stage with. And like, that was such a cool sort of freeing experience because I like, we do hide behind our armor sometimes. Like, Oh, I know that the amount of times we're sick and we're like, but shit, we got to get in drag. And then you get in drag and you're not sick anymore. Uh huh. And the second you take it off, you're like, okay, breathe. Right. Or something hurts, your knee is hurting, your back hurts, and you get in drag and it suddenly goes away. Because Mm -hmm. it's this thing that we feel like we're putting on this, you know, uh, it's protection. So to Mm -hmm. not have that was really scary, but super satisfying. Yeah. And you were so good. Oh, you would just, you and Doug were just so lovable in that show. It really, it, it was so fantastic. I think we've got a video of it. So hopefully, you know, we've been live streaming um, bits and pieces of our, our shows here and there. Hopefully we'll be able to do that one um, at some point soon. Now I know that we have to wrap this up so you can get out of here because you are a very busy woman and you haven't got all day. Uh, but I want to ask you a couple of questions that we ask all of our guests here on the podcast. Yes. One, what is your definition of a local queen? My definition of a local queen is a queen who loves her city, who feels connected to her city, and who thinks that it's important to represent her city. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. Uh, Number two, what was the worst performance you've ever given? The one that's the most embarrassing to you? Oh, gosh. You know, part of me, and this is so not even true, but I'm still so anxious about this most recent Golden Girls Christmas that we did. I was so scared the whole time because I didn't feel like I had my lines down. I literally never missed a line, but I was so anxious that whole time. (laughs) And then afterwards, of course, everyone was like, you were all brilliant. It was amazing. Like we said, we usually have three days to put these shows together. We had one afternoon. One afternoon. Afternoon, not even a day. We had one afternoon to put our newest version of the Golden Girls Christmas together. Which was a musical. It was fantastic. It was incredible. And looking back on it and talking to people about it and stuff, everyone's like, you guys were so great. Like, we freaking loved it. I was so terrified. (laughs) you're gonna screw this up you don't even know what's next you don't know what's coming up what costume do you wear we didn't even change costumes i was terrified (laughs) so i don't know maybe not most embarrassing but definitely my most like shaken in my boots (laughs) experience knackers yeah okay so my next question is what is the performance you are most proud of (sighs) that has to be Gaga Ball at Lake Eola. Um, I do a show called the one that we just did at Pride that you got to see. I did. It was fantastic. It was, um, it's, I do the show called the Gaga Ball here in Orlando and it's an hour long Lady Gaga concert with costume changes and dancers and visuals and the whole night. And we do it. We really try to make it feel like a concert and we use the live vocals and everything. And, um, I've been doing it for years. We've done like six versions of it. Um, and the Pride Committee reached out to me this year, which was incredible because there's never any local drag involved in the Pride show. And every year we're screaming, please let us perform for our city. Like, it's ludicrous. 
and they finally called and I'm so grateful that it was me that they called and um, they wanted a sort of, you know, truncated version of the show. So I sort of beefed up her Super Bowl performance and did this 25 minute, you know, concert in front of like 3000 people. It was something insane like that. Um, outdoors with everyone screaming and the pride flags going in the middle. It was just, and it was our first pride in three years, two years because of COVID. Uh-huh. I, it was just, I'm still high from it. It was the most incredible experience of my life. And the most exciting thing about watching that was we had watched the headliners all throughout the day. So, I mean, there were, of course, drag race girls. There were uh, singers who had been here, there, and everywhere that everybody knew. And the thing about them was, um, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. The audience was real excited to see them come out. And then they checked out, like, right after that. They weren't into it. They didn't stay invested. The second that you and your group hit the stage... They were in it from beginning to end. They were screaming. They were dancing. They were taking videos. They were so into it. And it was so exciting for me to see. I felt very proud. I was like, that's my friend in her element doing exactly what she needs to be doing, exactly where she needs to be doing it. And you could sense the the pride, literally the pride from the entire community. Yeah. It was like, this is ours. This is, palpable. this is ours. Yes, it was incredible. It was um, and that really is what it was. It was that back and forth. And it was so intense coming at me. Yeah. And I, I could have gone for another two hours. Like I was like, let's keep going. But it was like, it was. Yeah, I, yeah. Didn't because I didn't need to get to the Wawa and get me a salad, but. <laughs> All right. And my final question for you. Well, I say it's my final, but I'm going to ask one more, but. My final of these four questions is what would your advice be to any newbie out there who's wanting to become a queen local or otherwise? Remember there's someone under it. There's someone under your makeup. There's someone under your wigs. There's someone under your costumes. There's someone under all that. And they, that person deserves your love more than anything else. That is one of the best answers I've ever gotten to that question. I've asked that question a lot and we've gotten a lot of good ones, but they've all been very, um, I won't say all been very superficial, but they all, after hearing that answer seem a little superficial because you're so right. We get like, it's so hard for me to watch season seven, mostly because of my confessionals. And I look at myself and go, you didn't give a care in the world about Joshua. Everything was about Ginger. My hair was long and fried. I had no eyebrow. I mean, I barely have eyebrows now, but <laughs> yeah, I just, you could tell how unhappy I was as my every, I won't say a boy. Cause I'm, I, I, I identify as non-binary, but whoever Joshua was at that point in time yeah. was not a happy person. Yeah. And so it's really hard to sit back and watch that. And it's because I gave Ginger all of the credit all of the time, all of the resources and never gave anything to Joshua. Yeah. It's crazy because she pays the bills. I mean, Mr. Miss pays the bills, but it's like, Mr. Miss isn't real without. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. I do. Okay. So two more questions very quickly. 
Reader's Digest. Where did you get the name Mr. Miss Adrian? Because it's it's not like a Veronica Mills. Or something. <laughs> um, I uh, in high school I used to draw a little cartoon character, sort of inspired by Frankenfurter, and it was just me in these fabulous little costumes, and I just used to doodle Mr. Miss next to it, and I thought uh, I didn't know what I was doing. It was like a little comic book character, but I loved that uh, he or she didn't care. You know, gender was so unimportant to that little character. And then I realized I'm like, oh, that's you. And I just don't care. And my favorite part about drag is playing with gender because I, it's so not real to me. Gender is such a ridiculous, like who cares? The two people who I think do that best in the entire world are you and Axel Andrews. Yeah. Cause we just don't give a shit and freeing and it's Mm -hmm. beautiful and it's drag to me. It, of course it's drag. It's absolutely... Oh, yeah. I got my shirt. So also wear it. And then my very final question, where can our listeners find you to follow you and to support you? Yes. So you can follow me at Mr. Miss Adrian. That is M-R-M-S-A-D-R-I-E-N on Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter. I never use it. Um, and everywhere else. And um, I have some music out. I have an album called Mr. Miss. It's on Apple Music. And I have merchandise that you can get from my uh, Instagram in the link, including this fabulous shirt with my drag daughter, Mikey Meeks. Which we didn't even get into that whole conversation. We'll so I'm back on the podcast very soon. I would love to have our whole TV Land Live crew sit down and just talk about shit because I think people would be so interested. I could be wrong. Y'all will sound off and let me know if you don't want to hear it. But I think they'd be so interested in, in hearing literally what that process is from beginning to end. Yeah. Because it's so quick and there's so much. You can find me across all social media platforms. Just go to gingerminge.com and you'll find my link tree and you can just follow me and, and go to tvlandlive.com so you can follow all of our productions and all that. And remember, support your local queens because they are your hometown sheroes. I love you all so much. Make sure you like, subscribe, share, share, and uh, comment. And we'll see you next time. I love you all so much. Bye. Thanks for having me. So I, I know you've got a lot going on. But remember... I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening, because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better, because it can. Bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7. So I, I know you've got a lot going on, but remember... I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better because it can. Bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7.